this summer at Holy Cross, we are diving into the book of Psalms. We'll be looking at the different types of Psalms and the themes that are contained in this book as a whole. We especially want you to learn about how we as believers can relate to the emotions in the Psalms and learn to pray through those in your everyday life. Join us now as we unpack another Psalm. Wherever we are, whatever's going on, to bring to the Lord in our prayers. But of course, the Psalms, are, are, they're not just about us. They're about God, and they give this breadth of who God is, and particularly God in God's majesty, in God's splendor. And so they contain profound theology that help us to know God and to exalt God in our lives. So as we read the Psalms, as we meditate on the Psalms, as we sing the Psalms, as we pray the Psalms, the Psalms are wonderful to hide in our hearts. Like they're bite-sized. I mean, they're long, some of them, but they come in bite-sized pieces so that you can hide them in your heart in such a way that they provide the tool that you might need or the weapon for the spiritual battle that you find yourself in at any point in life. Well, today we'll look at Psalm 95. It's actually one that's kind of hard to categorize as a psalm. It's sort of a psalm of thanksgiving. It's kind of a psalm of praise. But it's also part of what are called the enthronement psalms. Everybody say enthronement. I'm just having you say it because you probably don't say that in everyday language, right? It's not too often you say that in the office. Yeah, we're enthroning today. Um, It's an enthronement psalm. It, It looks to enthrone God in his kingship, in his majesty, in his sovereignty as the Lord. And it's found in the section of Psalms that are the enthronement Psalms, which is kind of basically in the 90s of the book of Psalms, 93 to 99. It doesn't fit perfectly because it spans categories, but you'll see as we walk through it that it really is about the kingship of the Lord and particularly about, well, about what it means to be worshipers of this king. Now, before I jump into it, I want to start by saying this. What you do this morning, what you do this morning absolutely matters. What we do this morning absolutely matters. It has weight. It has importance. Our Sunday worship is more than just going to church. Everyone say, it matters. It matters. See, Our corporate worship has power in it. And and that's one of the things that often churches like kind of miss completely, that there is power in the corporate worship of God. I don't just mean emotionally. I don't just mean that we get moved, although those things may, of course, occur. When we come to worship God for who he is, the king and the Lord, it actually pushes back spiritual darkness. Now, I've got a a mentor and a good friend who's a bishop and a man of God. Like, he knows the ways of God. He knows the deep things of the Spirit. And we were in a conversation not too long ago, and he said to me, he said, you know, the darkness has gotten so dark in recent years. I think he's right, by the way. The darkness has gotten so dark because the church has, in many ways, made worship optional in our lives. If it fits in our schedules, if it works at our convenience, then we come. Now, certainly that's not everybody, but but his point is that as 
our value in worship decreases as our enthronement of God as a corporate group lessens, the darkness has room to move in. And of course, over this past year, thank God we've had Zoom and online and, you know, online worship. We'll continue to do it. But, you know, there's something about the online experience that if you're not careful, you can just become a passive observer rather than an active participant. So if, if you are doing online worship, make sure you engage. And, and what this friend of mine said is he said, you know, the chaos, the confusion, the disarray between Christians toward one another over this past year, a big part of that is because churches on every kind of corner of America stopped being able to worship and the darkness has come flooding in. And so what we do today matters. We push back the darkness here on Daniel Island and, of course, in this nation. And so we want to engage this morning in something that matters as we look at Psalm 95. Now, what we'll see is is that there's kind of a basic structure here in this psalm um, that, that basically when we worship, there's really kind of three things happening according to Psalm 95. We come to rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. We come to revere, say revere, Revere. and we come to respond, right? So rejoice, revere, and respond. It's kind of a simple structure that's good for people like me. I need simple structures. And so I'm really grateful when the word of God helps me along those lines. We rejoice, we revere, and we respond. Let's start with rejoicing. Let's read verses 1 and 2 together. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Do you see the liveliness and the joy that that are called for in this song? Make a joyful noise. We sing to God. We bring all of who we are to God. Heart, mind, soul, strength. All of who you are can come before the Lord in praise, in rejoicing. And notice it, it's not just for the lovely voices like these two over here. It says, make a joyful noise. So if you hear me, that's what I'm doing. Right? It may not be so joyful to you, but God finds it delightful. He's told me that right here in the book. And so don't worry about how it might sound to those around you. You sing to an audience of one. And he is pleased when you come rejoicing, singing with all of who you are, bringing your worship to him in praise. And the Hebrew in here in this text, it's Hebrew is such an earthy language. Our, our, the English is, well, it's kind of like us. It's a little bit staid, kind of stodgy at times, feels very calm. But, but Hebrew is this language that's expressive, and it's deep, and it's passionate all through and through. And so as the call, it's more like, let your praise erupt from a joyful heart that's lost in wonder for the king who loves you. That's kind of the feel of the Hebrew in there. Not only that, but we're praising God because he saves us and he is the rock. The world is going to go up and down and we've all experienced that. Like situations will crash, relationships and businesses fail. Things go crazy in the world, but we have a rock, a firm foundation, a steady, steady and solid God who doesn't change. He's not like shifting sand. 
He is always consistent and always true. And so we can rejoice in this God who's not like our emotions that go up and down, but he is completely constant through and through this rock and foundation for those who trust in him. Now, if you're in a relationship with the Lord because of Jesus Christ, the call is to praise, to give gratitude. You actually come into his presence as you praise and give thanks. Do you realize that? That's the doorway into the presence of the Lord, our praise and our gratitude. That's how we get into the presence of the Lord, as we make his name great, as we relish the grace that he's given us. It's a beautiful thing. He becomes powerful and mighty in our lives as we engage him in this way. Verse 3, let's read it together. For the Lord is a great God. And a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Why do we rejoice? Because there's no one greater than the Lord. He is the all-glorious one. There's nothing outside of his purview. It's all in his sight. And that's what the psalmist is trying to show us. They're using poetic language. Notice what he says, right? The peaks or the heights of the mountains are his. The depths of the earth are his. The sea is his, for he made it. And the land is his. You see the motion? The heights of the hills are his. The depths are his. The seas are his. And so is the land. I think it's a prophetic picture that's being given of the cross. There is nothing outside the purview or the ability of God to redeem. You could go to the highest place. You could go to the deepest depths. You could be lost in the sea. You could be away in the desert of the earth. And all is within the reach of our God who is sovereign. You see that picture? The Lord, almighty and glorious, beautiful to behold. And the New Testament tells us, That Jesus' life, it's not just his life, though we love to talk about his life. It's not just his death, and we talk about that a lot. We'll, We'll, in the form of bread and wine, celebrate what he did. It's not just his resurrection that he defeated death as God raised him for our justification, but he also ascended. He returned, and he is now enthroned. He sits at the right hand of the Lord in glory. He is the king. And if you read the book of Hebrews, you find out that because of what he has done through his death, he now gives you and me, those who come to him in faith, access to the very throne of God's grace. It's not by our righteous deeds, although those aren't bad things. It's by his righteous deeds that we now have access. We don't get to God by going through the saints. We get to God by going through his son, Jesus It's not our religion that gets us there. It's Jesus who gives us the access, who gives you and me access to the very throne and the very heart of God. And I think that is worth praising, don't you? Amen. Thank you. You know, if if you're not so clear on like what is worship like, and I'm having a hard time with my heart knowing how to worship Jesus, here's something you can do. Go to the book of Revelation and look for the throne scenes. 
particularly Revelation 4 and 5, where we're given a picture into heaven at the throne of God where the Lamb is worshipped and glorified. And there are several others throughout the book of Revelation as well. I think 7 and maybe 10 and down toward the end of the book, 21, 22, where it, like if, if your heart struggles to worship, go spend time meditating on those throne scenes where the very thing that this psalm is lifting up is kind of spelled out to us in color and in sound and in beauty. All of heaven erupts now and for all of eternity at the wonder and the splendor of who God is. And as we enter in rejoicing, guess what? Our voices are being joined up with angels and archangels and with saints. And we're part of a great chorus that's been going on through all of eternity that never ends. And that's why what we do today matters. Not only does it push back the darkness, not only does it enthrone God as he rightly ought to be enthroned, but we actually participate in something that is causing the whole universe to take shape in the glory of our God and our King. So we rejoice. But if, if you sit there for a while, it'll make your heart begin to revere, right? It'll make you reverential. Let's read verse 6 and 7. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Hard stop. We'll get to 7B in a minute. I just I forgot to tell you, stop in the middle. And we are the sheep of his pasture. So we rejoice, but notice the language. It's the language of worship. We worship, we bow down, we kneel before the Lord, we come to revere. And again, this Hebrew is super powerful. I mean, he's using three different expressions to try to cause our hearts to recognize what it is to come before the king. And so to worship, like to worship literally means to prostrate yourself. So here's my demonstration. I mean, it's to lay yourself out before the God who is worthy, who is glorious, whom the angels can barely look at. I mean, some of the angels whom we would be tempted to worship literally cover their eyes because of how much they revere him, how holy he is and how different he is. And of course, we also bow down. And so it's hard to do in here because we don't have kneelers. But you don't have to be in this position to bow down in your heart. Right to prostrate yourself, to lower yourself, to humble yourself before this God who is so glorious and so beautiful and so majestic and so worthy, worthy to be praised and worthy to be worshipped. He's so good and so kind and so powerful and so mighty. I can remember hiking some years ago uh, at our first church in Georgia it was near Pine Mountain, Georgia, and so I would go up onto Pine Mountain and just kind of was preparing to preach, and I was having time with the Lord. I love to be with God uh, in nature, and uh, it was summertime, and you know how, well, it's kind of like here, how thunderstorms will come up really fast, and they can almost be on you before you recognize it, but you start to feel like a little bit of a shift in the weather. Like it starts to cool off and then the wind's blowing and then it gets still and it gets dark and then boom, it's right there, right? And I mean, 
somewhere in that process, I was running for the car because I knew what was coming. And I was still a long way off when it literally came over Pine Mountain. And the last place you want to be in a summer thunderstorm in Georgia is in the middle of a pine forest on top of a mountain. Right? You're talking about having lots of places for lightning strikes, and that's exactly what was happening. Boom! You know, when it, the flash boom and it happens all at the same time, that's what was occurring. And I simply threw myself down on the ground and I covered myself up and I did the only smart thing. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, help! <laughs> Jesus, right? Help me! Oh God, I need you! And I don't know at what point he spoke. But when he spoke in the still small voice that whispers into our hearts, he said, I'm so much bigger than this. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. And I love you. I have no idea how long that storm lasted because I was suddenly in the silence of his presence in a place of complete adoration a total worship where I was simply loving God with everything inside me. I could have stayed there for a week. Could have been two minutes. It could have been an hour. I really don't know. It didn't matter because I was revering God and exalting him because he is so much bigger than anything we can face in this life. He is the Lord, glorious, the King Almighty. So we rejoice and we revere but we're also called to respond. We're called to respond to this God. Now we'll pick up and start at 7B. So halfway through, uh, right there. So let's read that to the end. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathe that generation. We're going all the way to the end. For 40 years, I loathe that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my peace, my rest. So listen to the way the message puts it. The message translation says that 7B, drop everything and listen. Listen as he speaks and don't turn a deaf ear. Isn't that great? It gets at the earthiness of the Hebrew there. Drop it all. Listen as he speaks. Don't turn a deaf ear to the Lord. So as this psalm concludes, we're actually given a warning It's an admonition. It's an exhortation. It's actually a warning. God warns us against the dangers of a hard heart. This is what will shut down your life with God, is when our hearts get hard along the way. And hardness of heart comes in lots of different ways. It comes through bitterness. It comes through unforgiveness. It comes as we don't yield to what God says to us. You know, it's when you internally plug your ears and go, la, 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 la. Because I have other plans, and I I don't want to do things the way God is calling me to do them. 
So what does the psalmist do? He points, as so often the psalms and the scriptures do, he points them back into their history to the time of the Exodus. And he says, remember, remember, bring to mind that wilderness time. Remember when the people of Israel were delivered miraculously, powerfully out of their bondage to slavery in Egypt, and God took them out so they could do what? Worship him. And yet, in a very short period of time, they started to grumble against the Lord. They started to murmur against the Lord. They started to mistrust God's care and God's goodness. They didn't do what God asked them to do. They began to test God in their hearts. They began to strive against God. That's what uh, Massa and Meribah are. The striving and the testing of God. The hardening of the heart toward the Lord. And of course, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years in what could have been just a very short journey. And most of them didn't get into the promised land, the place of rest. Now, here's the thing. like You can wander around spiritually. You can be a person going to heaven who's wandering around spiritually for years because your heart is hard and you're never actually entering into the rest and the peace of God. Don't let that happen to you. That's the warning. It's not God going, I'm going to get you. It's God saying, I have such a better way for you. I have a way that will bring you life. I have a way that will bring you peace. I have a way that will satisfy you and make your heart content. But, But it's his way. And we have to respond to what he says. Not because we have to, but because we love him. Because we've seen the demonstration of his love in his son, Jesus Christ. We know the depths to which he will go to make us his own. And when we enter into his word and we respond out of love in obedience, he says, you'll have rest and you'll have peace. So we're called to rejoice and we're called to revere and we're called to respond today, not yesterday, not tomorrow, today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Why? So that you don't end up wandering for many years in a dry place that has no life and no peace. Let me close with this. I heard a story about a man who had a dream. And in the dream, an angel of the Lord came to him and took the guy to his church. And it was as though he were sort of hovering above the congregation and he was looking, and, and there were the musicians, and they were just playing away. And there were the ushers, and they were ushing away. And there were the people, and they were singing away. And there was the preacher, and he was preaching away. But there was no sound. It was like somebody had hit the mute button on the remote control. Just total silence. And so the man turned to the angel and he said, what, what gives? And the angel said, that's what we hear in heaven when their hearts have grown hard, when they aren't worshiping the king with all of who they are. It's like a silence. Friends, let's not be that kind of church. What we do here this morning matters. It's more than singing songs. It's pushing back the darkness. It's revering this God, rejoicing in who he is, in the salvation he has given us. 
It's being lost in wonder at his heart for us and his majesty. The fact that everything is under the purview of his grace. Let's listen. Let's listen and respond to the things that he's calling us to do. What he's calling you to do. What he's calling me to do. What he's calling us to do. Let's pray. Oh Lord, it matters this morning. We want it to matter. And it's more than emotion. Though all of who we are comes into it, we want to worship you in the beauty of your holiness and the wonder of who you are. Lord, we pray that as we pray together, as we receive the sacrament, as we sing our songs, the angels would join in with us and we would join in with them and the darkness would be pushed back from Daniel Island. Lord, we cry out on behalf of our neighbors who are lost. We cry out on behalf of those who do not know you. We cry out on behalf of our brothers and sisters who are not here today. We pray your mercy over each of us. And we ask you, Lord, to move in power through all that we do, that our hearts could rejoice and revere and respond to you, that the name of Jesus would be rightly glorified and that our Father would be pleased by the beautiful sound of the joyful noise we make. Pray, Lord, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.